0: listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti. I am the host for today's show, which is being recorded in Chicago at the Clio Cloud Conference, which is returned to the beautiful Radisson Blue Aqua Hotel. We're here to cover this event for you, our listeners, and joining me now, I have John Sutt. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And of course, uh, John Saw, he is the CEO of LegalZoom, and he's been the CEO since 2007, and his company's grown over the last 12 years to have over 12 million customers and more than 600 employees. Did I get that right? It's over
1: 2 million customers, and now we're over 800 employees. Okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you. No Sorry. Worries. Yeah, we're getting the information a little <laughs> late here, but so you were involved in a, one of the keynotes. It was called uh, Democratizing Law, and uh, you hit several topics here, and there was kind of a grander message as we got towards the end of it, and so uh, allow me uh, just to, to kind of unpack this a little bit and kind of fill in the gaps sure. where I'm missing here. So. Basically, we started off kind of the first part of the venture was talking about access to justice issues. And so you shared some information with, with the audience. And then you talked about the uh, the cost of delivering in big laws, so sort of the cost drivers, the things that were making it expensive. And then you were talking about uh, LegalZoom and the things that you've learned at LegalZoom into providing those services and you know applying those towards a kind of a different sort of practice of law to not only lower the cost but increase client satisfaction. So I'd like to kind of start at that that first point, the access to justice issues. I think these are wonderful uh, facts to share with the audience as to what's going on in law today, that that cost that seems to continue to go up, and how it's pretty alarming who cannot afford uh, basic legal services
1: today. So uh, please uh, enlighten us with that. I think one of the things that we wanted to highlight was... When we think about access to justice, it usually focuses on the 15% of people below the poverty line, which is an absolutely critical segment to address. However, that's not who LegalZoom explicitly addresses. So I want to make that clear because when we think about democratizing law, we look at the unmet legal needs of middle class Americans and 99% of small businesses. And there... Similar to those below the poverty line, costs have escalated so far out of control that the average solo practitioner can't afford their own hourly rates. That's shocking. (laughs) It's crazy. And this economy and this democracy cannot function if the average individual, the average household, and 99% of small business people can't access to the law. A law that only works for the 1% that can afford it is a broken
0: system. And well, let's talk about that uh, that 1%, the 1% that can afford the big law solution. And so you were sharing uh, with us some of the, the drivers of that cost, including the years it takes to make someone a specialist, an expert in their field. And you were sharing with us some of the, the duration it takes to develop that person. And so when you're buying from big law, you're buying that too, that that model. So let, let's expound upon that a little bit.
1: Sure. I actually think big law has its own challenges. It's, you know, Every industry of law is challenged at this stage. But big law is actually... Well designed, I think, for their customer segment. Okay. Meaning, a typical person in a, in the two hundred largest law the two hundred largest law firms employ one hundred and twenty three thousand lawyers. They're highly concentrated. They work on average uh, in billable hours about eighteen hundred hours per year. Okay. When you think about Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hour rule, or ten thousand hours to mastery, they're going to get there in about five and a half years. So you have a very concentrated experience of a high volume of hours applied against a very specific specialty to quickly gain mastery. And that's why I'd say ourselves, who is a reasonably sophisticated or, at least from my perspective, high-volume user of big law services, you know, we see a sweet spot in that A7, A8, seventh or eighth year. They're really on top of all the subject matter. They can do very high-quality work, and they're reasonably... Priced relative to what a partner 20 years down the line would be. Right, right. And so that's a system geared towards taking a young lawyer and giving them fantastic training, high volume in a highly specialized area to gain subject matter uh, expertise. And when you look at the efficiency of that system, which is when I think at law firms with more than 700 lawyers, they spend 88% of their working time on billable work. Which only, that means 80% of their time is on the practice of law, and only 12% on the business of law. That's a relatively efficient ratio, and in contrast, and the reason I bring that out is to bring out the contrast of of what I would call small law, which is, you know, the average middle class American and uh, the average small business is not going to these 200 largest law firms. They're going to solos and boutiques. Solos spend 39% of their time on the business of law. That's not a lot. Not 12, but 39%. That's a lot. And they work less hours. Many of them are part-time. Many of them don't have enough work. So what essentially happens is it will take a, a solo. If you look at the business of law versus practice law, the median solo will take 25 years to get 10,000 hours, and their experience will not be focused, not specialized, but more often in multiple practice areas. So... The reason I bring that out is, number one, when LegalZoom has chosen to democratize law, working with a lot of boutiques and occasional solos, it's because it's a very efficient deliverer of legal services. The key message being, you don't have to be 700 lawyers to be efficient. The most efficient law firm is actually 11 to 20. Wow, okay. That's when over 90% of your hours are billable. So, actually, an 11 to 20 firm is more efficient Maybe, maybe it's because the 700-plus, you got a lot more secretaries and assistants and well, that's accoutrements of big business.
0: Well, that's interesting because, you know, you think it with an army of 700 that you'd have enough administrative support where you can actually kind of streamline that a little bit better. You have, you know, options, and you can go to this person or that person for it. But that's interesting. A firm of 11 people, so I'm thinking maybe one or two administrative employees in that mm-hmm. mix,
1: and somehow they get it done a little bit more efficient than, uh, than the big firm. Yep. And the interesting thing about that is when you look at revenues per lawyer, in big law it's around eight hundred and twelve thousand. And I'm mixing a couple of years between fourteen and thirteen with the Amla one hundred the Amla two hundred, but let's say that's directionally correct. And the average solo is grossing about one tenth of that. And then taking home about six percent of that. Okay. So the difference between big law and small law economics are severe the average solo after 20 years is likely to gross or earn less than a first-year associate at an AMLA 100 law firm. Okay, wow. So, these are a tale of two worlds. The thing that took me by surprise is oftentimes solos charge on an... The average billable rate across those 123,000 lawyers is about $450. A solo will often charge 40 to 50% of the rates of big law even though they only take home 6%. If this process continues, hey, I like basketball. I'm not a professional. But trying to base what I would make in basketball off a percentage of Kobe Bryant would not be the right model. Right. And especially when I'm trying to charge that, but I'm not getting it. So 40 to 50% of the billable hourly rate and less than 6% of the profits, there's a disconnect. And that is unutilized capacity. So... There's a lot of inefficiency that's at the heart of access to legal services. And until we address the supply chain for legal services, we really won't be able to service more Americans and more small businesses. And that was the essence of the... Uh, my talk. That's interesting. It's
0: really interesting. So you also presented, you know, some obviously we're kind of getting into that now. Some of the things you've learned uh, through LegalZoom, and, and obviously you've studied the uh, the industry quite well. And but you also came up with some ideas as to how to lower the cost, but also improve the client satisfaction. And you kind of broke it into kind of three different areas, and it was based on your your net promoter score. And so uh, if it could, so the first was set clear expectations with your clients. And the second was streamlined process and communication. And the third was accountability. And you said focusing on these three elements would lead to a much better client satisfaction. So let, let's get into that and then uh, maybe some of
1: your ideas on how to how to provide those services at lower cost. Sure. Well, when we began with the customer experience, we, we started LegalZoom with if you can't create a a product or service that gets a fifty percent plus net promoter then stop it doesn't matter how much money goes into it just stop
0: okay let's let's start with that let's jump off right there just real quick so for me that was a, you, that was a term introduced to me in there, and I'm probably not alone sure. so what what is a net promoter score so a
1: net promoter score is A methodology developed decades ago, like 40 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, by Bain & Company and popularized by Harvard Business School. And what they tried to do is create one metric that identified high-growth companies. And it wasn't a history of growth. It wasn't a history of profits. It wasn't a growing industry. What actually determines a specific, what's correlated to a specific company's growth is this net promoter score. And how you calculate a net promoter is fairly simple. On a scale of 1 to 10, How willing are you to refer this company to your friends and family? A nine or a 10 scores one point, a seven or an eight scores zero, and a one to six scores negative one. So one third tens, one third eights, and one third sixes gives you a net promoter score of zero. An average score of eight, a net promoter score of zero. So it's highly sensitive to how many times you deliver an extraordinary experience, and you're heavily penalized for an average experience.
0: Okay.
1: Now, most industries have a net promoter that's relatively consistent. And sometimes they run in a 10-20%, sometimes they're negative. The legal industry runs about four to six percent. LegalZoom, it's many people think our technology is about affordability. It's actually about consistency of quality. So we deliver at a 65% net promoter. And that's easier in some ways by technology enabled experience what was a challenge for us was in chapter two of our business where we added lawyers through legal plans. Our brand was in the hands of third-party independent lawyers. They were interacting with our customers. have done over 200,000 half-hour consultations to small businesses and families. So we had to get Net Promoter up from single digits. Our, after months of vetting and screening and interviews and Profiling, we finally got to our list of network boutique firms that we'd start off with, tested them, we started off at an average of 6%. So I was like, ouch. (laughs) So, and I told the team that we are not going to make mention of this in advertising until net promoters above 50%, whether it takes two years or 10 years. How do we get this right? That
0: sounds like quite a challenge. I mean, you're you're relying on third parties that you don't have any direct control over and that this must have been just
1: an enormous task. It was, and in fact, my board disagreed with me. (laughs) 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 Well, I'd say a a number of my members of the board disagreed because their fear was there was nowhere to get consistency of quality from a third-party network, and therefore our brand would be diminished. And I said, for many Americans, the law without a lawyer is like medicine without a doctor. It's not the real thing. Okay. So if we can't integrate lawyers at high-quality levels, the ceiling of this company is much lower, and we will never achieve our North Star of democratizing law. So after a arduous, painstaking, very long, twisty road, we got our attorney network up to a 70%-plus net promoter on average. Which,
0: uh, from my, what I call from your uh, your talk... Well exceeded your expectations of that, that surprised
1: you. Blew me away. It did take 18 months, but it blew me away. Um, I did not think it would be higher than our core business. And um, and that's a, a huge testament to the team at LegalZoom and our partner attorneys. They embraced change, they embraced iteration, they went fully accountable. And in a really collaborative process, we brought up Net Promoter step by step. To And to have that average across these 200,000 is fantastic. So we believe we can deliver very high quality legal services consistently and also make it affordable. And some of the lessons that we shared with a lot of people here are, you know, solos or boutique law firms. And I wanted to share what we've learned about delivering a a fantastic customer experience because, you know, as a mission driven company, the more people that access the law, the better. That's why a lot of the tech companies were wondering, why do you always like partner or give advice or help out? Because we might compete with you one day. And I said, hey, if you're improving access to the law and doing it at a high quality level, would rather support you. We don't want to solve it all ourselves. Right, right. <laughs> so if there's lessons that we've learned, just having been around longer, we like to share and we like to share our mistakes too. I mean, I stepped in that pothole. I don't want you to. I want you to step on your own pothole. Do something new. Make a new mistake, because then <laughs> a we'll new learn. Mistake. Nice. <laughs> so let's let's still tell that
0: back in with these uh, three recommendations. So very important. Set clear expectations with your clients you know, and uh, streamline your processes and communication and also accountability. Let's get into those, I think that's really valuable advice for especially small, small firms and solos to, to talk about. Because I think lawyers get so focused on the end product, they sort of forget that
1: there's a person that has that problem on the other end of that transaction. Yeah, so as for setting clear expectations, one of the big enemies for that from the customer's perspective surrounds the billable hour construct. Okay. When you ask a lawyer how much will this cost, and they say, well, it depends. Depends on what? Depends on the complexity of the issue, questions they may not know, or what the customer hears is that it depends on how much you're going to work, and I have no say in how many hours you're going to work, and you're not giving me a range. Is it five hours? Is it 10 hours? Is it 20 hours? The it depends on an hourly rate that you can ill afford is an incredibly difficult thing to hear. Right. For the family member or or small business person on the other side of the table. So I think part of transparency is being very clear about what it will cost. I shared an experience where I did a grat. And he's from a fantastic lawyer. And he gave me, I thought, was a very fair price of, I think it was $6,000 for a grat. And what I didn't realize is every year it's $3,000 to maintain it. And I went, whoa, I'm not saying that's the wrong price at all. I'm just saying that if I bought a car for forty thousand dollars and the maintenance was twenty thousand dollars per year, I wish the person selling me the car would have told me that. At right. The time. right. And that was not communicated to. Me. Now they might have assumed I'm a more sophisticated user, a more sophisticated user of legal services than I actually am. <laughs> they didn't know. <laughs> he didn't know I was the CEO of LegalZoom, but I was not aware of these maintenance costs. I think it's totally fair. My point was a fantastic lawyer that was giving me what I think was a very fair rate because many lawyers gave me more didn't set the clear expectations. And I didn't have a problem with it, except for the fact that it was a surprise. So I think billable hours is a very difficult construct. And setting, what time do I think this will be done? How many hours will it work? Here's a rough range in pricing. That simple set of expectations, when it will occur and how much it will cost, usually gets met way too often with, I don't know, it depends. That very lawyerly answer, it depends. Yes. And the reality is, if you do a very high volume of work in a very specialized area, you can absolutely say, in most cases, the range and what drives higher costs versus lower costs. Okay. With greater experience comes predictability. So if someone's done bank, never done bankruptcy before, or they've done bankruptcy 300 times, they'll say, I'm going to charge you an $1,100 flat fee. And I do this often, sometimes I do more, sometimes I do less, but it's a flat fee. And in your particular case with low funds, you will need to know. (laughs) And it's better because I know if I do something variable, I'm never going to get it on the other side. So in many cases, experience yields greater insight. The problem is... If you're not focused in a practice area, you don't have enough reps to narrow the range of expectations and to offer visibility and clarity, especially when you're learning about a practice area for the first time. You don't know how much research is required to answer a question. So I'm talking about flat fees for the most common legal needs, not the most complex. When it is complex, I understand there's variability. I find that most people default to a totally variable, unspecified, no matter if it's simple or complex. That's the experience that most Americans have. And I think that fundamentally sends a message, don't bother asking, you can't afford it. And that's not right. Right. Well, it scares people,
0: too. I mean, you, you're scared to go to an attorney when you really do need one because you're like, I just I don't know where this cost begins or ends, and I've got to plan my life. So and I think that's where you're starting to see a lot of these pro se
1: clients, especially in family law, like, can't afford this. I'm just going to do the best that I can. Yeah. And, th- and that was another thing when I talked about the, the middle class is the density of lawyers has doubled between 1971 and 2000 in the U.S. And yet access to a lawyer is measured by something as important in the family courts as How are we going to split custody of children? Yeah, Very important. Right? Critical issue. This is a fundamental issue in a family's life. Pro se went from 1% in California to 67%. That's that's shocking. Shocking. I've been told in Florida it's closer to 90%. Wow. So how in a system where you double supply do you diminish access by two-thirds or more? And if we don't solve this issue, it's actually getting worse and worse and worse. Now, it can't get much worse than 90%. My point, though, is not getting better. And it's because we're not addressing the fundamental issues that are restricting access to the law.
0: So let's move to the second part of that, the the streamlining process and communication with your client. And so, you know, I think one of the frustrating things, and I've certainly uh, in representation, not just law, but also do some uh, consultations as well. And some people want to know how long something's going to take. They want to prepare themselves for it, sort of like they're bracing for impact. There's going to be something disruptive in their life, and they want to be able to get through it in a way that they can predict. And so you talk about streamlining process and communication. What were some of your finer points on that?
1: Well, on communication, part of it was no legalese, no jargon. Part of it is, if someone's asking a question, should I go forward or not? There's a yes, no. I found a common occurrence is people would begin by, well, there's three things that I want you to consider. As opposed to, if the real answer is, if I was in your situation, I would definitely go forward. Now let me tell you three reasons why. Those are two completely different ways of communicating. Right, right. The legal profession tends to go to the complexity before the solution. So we would reverse that problem. It's the same communication, but the order actually matters because you put people at ease and frame the rest of the discussion.
0: Well, I but, liked what you said, too, about that that plain language. If, if you cannot communicate in plain language, you probably don't understand it as much as you should.
1: Yeah, we, we had a debate with some of the lawyers that are not part of our network anymore where they felt... Legal is a different language. Right. It is the instrument of our profession. If we don't communicate that, it would be inappropriate. And I said, well, speaking a language that people don't understand, I think, would be inappropriate if it's talking about their family or their business. And I do believe the best lawyers have great bedside manners to mix analogies with medicine. Meaning, I know what you're looking, the question on your mind, and I'm going to give you an answer that is Medically slash legally correct in language that you understand because it's your life, it's your family. There was an interesting legal professor, and he taught copywriting for contracts and agreements. And I came across uh, him, and he in advocacy teaches it, very prestigious, Uh, and was considered one of the leaders in the field. And he actually created software that would take all the rules that he would teach. And then you could put anything in Word as an ad and click a button, and it would edit it. And it would say, I'm going to take probably 20 to 40% of the words out of whatever you're saying. It could be an email. It could be a bill. It could be a contractor agreement. And you can see the edits and then decide whether the meaning has changed or gotten clear. And I did it on my own email. I thought I was a decent writer, but it was... Wow, it was vicious. <laughs> and I realized there's a, there's a funny story where someone said, sorry that my email was so long, but I didn't have enough time to write it uh, more briefly. Because yeah. writing briefly takes thought. It does. It does. And he was actually doing this to look at, I believe, automation of bills. So there's a plain language bill. And says, so if I could rewrite all these bills so the people drafting it and the people it's supposed to govern actually understand what it's supposed to be, we can apply this to these bills in an automated fashion. And that's... I think from listening to him teaching at some of the most prestigious law schools about some fairly complex issues, that everything can be spoken in plain language, I felt our lawyers needed to speak in plain language and our documents needed to be written in plain language. Great. So let's move to the last part, accountability. And so in delivering
0: that satisfactory service you were talking about, you'd like it when A client can rate their attorney in every step of the process giving that accountability uh, to to the
1: lawyer but also satisfaction to the client let's elaborate a little bit on that too when I first asked our plan attorneys and I'm gonna beg their forgiveness for telling us slightly embarrassing story (laughs) but around the table we asked after we did a seminar and a case study and they read the the texts on and the journal articles on net promoter and then I asked around the table what do you think your net promoter is And it was like 100, 90, 80, and I was like, "Well, it's theoretically possible, but very few businesses or individuals achieve perfection (laughs) or that close to it." This is a 50 is a damn good score. So, so on the question of accountability, when we did the Net Promoter surveys, they came out to six percent, and everyone was a bit sheepish. And what I found is, they're great lawyers. And their customers generally really like them, but they didn't produce that surprise and delight experience that leads to viral referrals in huge quantities and really accelerates growth. And so we said, if we measure this and every lawyer in our plan gets a Net Promoter every month. Every single interaction they have, they have the option to rate on that Promoter, And we share that by lawyer, by firm. And you can compare your progress to other lawyers, similar in life cycle. So I've been doing this for two years. I'm at 76. I've been doing this for three months. I'm at 47. Okay. Well, you can see the curve that you're going to climb by tracking it meticulously and longitudinally over time and knowing what a cohort does. People, one, had faith that they would get to be where they want to be and that the process works. But if you don't measure it, if you trust anecdotally what I think I'm hearing from my own customers, you will never get the feedback required to learn. And for us, it's all about learning together. And our lawyers, how did it improve? A lot of us? our lawyers got together and shared best practice. We didn't know. We would just give them feedback on how they're doing and the comments, and we would look across thousands of these surveys to get to kind of fundamental tools that we could build to help support the experience. But it was largely their own suggestions that got us there. So it was a collaborative process, and that's what I mean by accountability. Are you open to being rated and reviewed by every customer? And some of our lawyers would say, hey, can you take that down? That customer was not correct. And I'd say, you know, our our policy is no. We can allow you to respond to it. But part of this accountability is keeping a full record. Customers are pretty sophisticated. When a customer said, hey, even though I didn't tell you all the facts and details, you you know, you know, change your flat fee price, I said, well, in your case, having 12 kids and not having kids is a material mission, and it should be different when you're talking about an uncontested divorce. I'm just making something up. So I said, hey, customers reading that will actually side with you. Don't worry about it. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so I, I believe customers are incredibly acute at understanding authentic responses and the customer is not always right it's good to act like the customer's all right but you know one percent of the time the customer may be wrong and other customers will be like that's obscene stop that i'm not going to count that so let transparency rule the day well, I think it's a good place to leave it. So I just wanted
0: to, uh, John, I wanted to offer you uh, a moment to, to leave our audience with some final thoughts and perhaps some contact information if some of our listeners would like to reach out to you and learn a little bit more about what they heard today.
1: So I believe the best way, because there's a large group of inquiries that I tend to get, would be info at LegalZoom.com. Okay. Uh, or dialing in. Sally Robertson runs our attorney network. And you can uh, dial in, I think it's S. Robertson at LegalZoom.com. And that would be the best way for attorneys to figure out that uh, many attorneys here have asked to, how they could work with us, given that we're looking to work with 20 to 50,000 attorneys. And still, we might as well start recruiting now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think and the final message is really the chapter of LegalZoom that many people focus on was chapter one, where we were actually positioned as an alternative to a lawyer. In chapter three where we're looking to technology-enabled lawyers, lawyers front and center, and our shift in certain categories to 100% attorney-delivered services is going to really open up opportunities for Americans, for small businesses, for lawyers, and for LegalZoom. So uh, that may be a different narrative than people are expecting, but that's what it is. All right, well, uh, thank you so much for joining
0: us today, John, and uh, it was a pleasure meeting you and a fabulous presentation. Thank you. Appreciate it. This has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Colletti, signing off from Chicago. Until next time, thank you for listening.